Disclaimer, all views, thoughts, and ideas expressed on this podcast may or may not represent the opinions, thoughts, and views of St. Louis Story Stitchers. Stop and take a trip down on my block where you see hidden potential, young minds sharper than pencil, and ain't afraid to speak their mind if they got something against you. We standing with you, we tackle issues like civic pride. Hate will cease to exist, let's put our differences aside. From my side to your side, from Dutchtown to Southside, from Penrose to North side from Benton Park to Old North to West End the West Side. We bless when we step out. We stand down, rise up, stand together, wise up. This is Stitchcast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. Season 3, Episode 56, titled COVID Vaccine Fear and Facts. As the new Delta strand sweeps into the St. Louis region, youth leaders alongside Dr. Frederick Echols discuss the fears and facts of the COVID vaccine and the new mask mandate. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Stitchcast Studio. Today we are going to be talking about COVID fears and facts, part three, I believe this is part three. Um, And today we have here with us a very special guest, Dr. Eccles. Dr. Eccles, uh, if you don't mind, could you just kind of introduce yourself to, um, you know, maybe listeners who will listen to this later who may not know who you are? So my name is Dr. Frederick Eccles. I'm the Acting Director of Health for the City of St. Louis. Um, some of my background includes uh, having medical training at Boston University School of Medicine. I served time in the military. Well, I served as the Director of Communicable Disease for the State of Illinois and the Director of Communicable Disease Control Services, Vector and Veterinary Programs, and Emergency Preparedness and Response for St. Louis County prior to taking on the role of uh, Director of Health for the City of St. Louis. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, But like we said, today we're going to talk about more fears and facts about COVID, the vaccine. Um, And first, I kind of want to just get some stereotypes out the way. Like, I like doing that, you know, just to kind of clear the air, you know. Um, So one of the, one of the, or I don't know if you call it a stereotype. but one of the things that I hear a lot that some people are afraid of is that, <clears throat> excuse me, if they get the vaccine, um, will it make them sick? So could you talk to us a little bit about that and even kind of like where that stemmed from? Because I know maybe with like previous vaccines that might have been something that was the case. But, you know, could you kind of talk to us a, about that a little bit? Absolutely. So um, side effects of vaccines um, vary from vaccine to vaccine. But one common theme that we typically see is that there are some um, uh, symptoms that individuals will develop after receiving a vaccine. Uh, Most commonly, individuals will have um, pain at the site of injection where the uh, vaccine was placed. Um, Some individuals will have uh, symptoms such as fever, headache, chills. Um, For example, with the flu vaccine, a lot oftentimes individuals will have flu-like symptoms after receiving the flu vaccine. And that's really important because it shows, one, it shows that the immune system is working, Mm -hmm. um, but they don't actually have uh, the disease process. Mm -hmm. So the vaccines, when they're developed, they just take bits and pieces of the 
uh, proteins um, to create the vaccine. And so when your body, so your body is able to recognize um, components of the virus or the bacteria in the event that you're infected. Mm -hmm. But when you receive the vaccine, they aren't actually giving you the disease. They're just giving, helping your immune system, um, prepping your immune system to respond in the event that you do um, uh, become exposed and infected with uh, a virus or other pathogen. Okay, cool. Um, really quick too, something that just came up when you said that, um, I don't know why, but uh, I think it was last week we had a dance battle and I think it was some of our partners from Wash U um, was hosting like a survey. And I think one of, it, one of them um, talked about how there's like an actual database um, that's being recorded for people who get the vaccine. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about that? If you know anything, like what are they tracking and like how does that work? And if they share that information with the masses? It's the one um, database that's used, the one platform that is used, it's called VSAFE. That's V and then S-A-F-E. Uh, this is a platform that's used for all uh, vaccines that are made available to the general public, um, particularly vaccines that have been approved by the FDA, either uh, official approval or through emergency use, use authorization, um, like we have for the COVID-19 vaccines that are available. Mm -hmm. um, so the VSAFE, the purpose for VSAFE is making is to make sure that any side effects um, that individuals experience after receiving a vaccine product is reported to the to the federal government. And this allows them to track symptom profiles for um, each vaccine product. Then if there's any trends, any worrisome trends that are detected, um, they can pull products um, from the market to do uh, an investigation. And that's actually what happened with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So remember when they were the, um, there were reports of uh, individuals developing blood clots and then there were a few deaths associated with that. Mm -hmm. That was, they pulled the vaccine product because that information, those complications were reported to the federal government. If we didn't have those checks and balances in place, um, and it could be years before we identify uh, complications associated with particular um, medications or other pharmaceutical interventions that are approved for, um, for the general public. Okay, okay, cool. Did you have anything yet? Um, and while he gets his question too, um, do you know uh, why, like, or has it been, like, what is the requirement for the vaccine? Like, is there any, like, type of requirement that people have to have to in order to go get vaccinated? Like, any type forms of, like, identification or anything like that? And so right now the vaccines, the COVID-19 vaccines are available for uh, individuals um, age 12 and up, particularly so the Pfizer vaccine is available for individuals who are um, 12 years of age and older. Um, the Moderna vaccine is available for individuals who are 18 years and older. And the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine is available for individuals who are 18 years and older. Uh, typically when individuals come to a vaccination clinic, we do ask for some form of ID. Um, and that's really it, a form of ID so we can verify that you are who you are. Uh, we don't ask for insurance information or other information um, because we aren't charging your insurance company for um, uh, this service. Uh, so only just a, a government-issued ID or standard ID um, is sufficient. Okay, cool. That's good to know. And what about for um, COVID testing as well? Same for COVID testing. Uh, one advantage of having an ID on site, uh, on hand with you, 
is that you know, sometimes individuals uh, penmanship isn't the great mm -hmm. isn't greatest so for example my penmanship it can be very, very difficult to read <laughs> and okay. so having um, a form of ID on hand with me you know if I need someone else to transcribe my information they can do so and do it accurately and that's okay. really important for the um, Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine because we need to have accurate contact information for mm. individuals so we can contact them and let them know when they're due for their second dose. If we don't have contact information or accurate contact information or the information is not legible, then that can create issues for us being able to contact individuals in a timely manner. And we want to make sure that we are creating additional barriers for individuals to complete the vaccination process. We know in the city of St. Louis and other parts of the state of Missouri, uh, the vaccination uptake isn't as high as we want it to be. And so making sure we're able to contact individuals in a timely manner to get them in for their second dose um, is really important. Uh, and that's also important because we want to make sure that we're complying with the um, uh, the regimen that has been prescribed, that has been approved by the FDA. So through the clinical trials, um, there was a certain regimen that was uh, tested, mm -hmm. and that's what the FDA approved. So making sure that individuals who receive the Pfizer vaccine return in three weeks is really important, and making sure individuals who receive the Moderna vaccine return in four weeks for their mm -hmm. second dose is really important. Mm -hmm. That's good to know, too. I didn't know it was like that far apart either. I thought it was only like two weeks, maybe, at max. Cool. Thank uh, you so much. My question was, well, what are the pros and cons of the vaccine? So everyone, everyone is a little different, so I can talk about my personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, so the pro for me was really um, being able to conduct an action that shows that I'm compassionate about my community. Um, oftentimes when we think about um, uh, doing things, it's all about what do I personally gain from it. But when we look at the impact that COVID-19 has had on communities across um, the city of St. Louis and across the state of Missouri and across the world. Um, one simple thing that we all could do to show compassion for other individuals is to get vaccinated. Um, so that, that was really important for me. And one of the downsides is, you know, sometimes you do have a little, you get a, a few symptoms. My only symptom really was a, a pain at the side of injection. So I had a little arm pain uh, for like 24 hours and otherwise that was it. I had no fever, no chill but every, everyone responds to the vaccine differently. But for me, it was really about understanding the importance of um, um, getting vaccinated for individuals beyond myself, so for, for the community at large. Uh, we know that in some communities, particularly African-American communities, there's been a lower uptake than um, we expected. Um, but when we look at where, which populations are being impacted the most, African-Americans are right now accounting for about 80% of all COVID-19 cases. And it's not just older adults, it's younger adults as well. And oftentimes as a younger individual, we um, just con consider ourselves, but think of the fact that, you know, you getting infected could lead to other members of your family getting infected. Because you know you, when, you, when you're at home, are you really t wearing a face covering all the time? You know, if you have your uh, nephew or niece or another young person in your family, are you always wearing a face covering and socially distancing from them? Right. Oftentimes we want to hold the little ones because, you know, those are our, because um, babies are cute, right? You just want to hold babies. Uh, they're, they're cute and you want to show, you just want to love on them. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this case, if you're infected with COVID-19 and you're loving on them, you could actually be causing harm to them. And so mm -hmm. doing our very best to protect um, those who aren't able to protect themselves is really critical. Okay. I like that. Thank you for sharing.
Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I kind of want to touch on because lately we've been hearing a lot about variants. Um, so really quick, because I'm going to get deeper into that, but really quick, could you explain to us what is a variant for people that may not know? Yeah, so in simple terms, so for a virus, viruses have the, they can uh, change their genetic makeup. So they can, um, if the, when the conditions are right, they can change their, their uh, genetic makeup, which would lead to uh, them becoming more, uh, um, more virulent or more toxic. Um, or um, uh, give them the ability to spread more efficiently. And so what we've seen over the course of the pandemic is that as newer variants are detected, they spread more efficiently and they are more virulent, meaning that they're more, uh, highly, uh, more likely to cause severe complications requiring hospitalization, in some cases death. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important for us to not just focus on a particular variant, um, but we really need to focus on stopping transmission. So stopping the spread of SARS-CoV-2, stopping the spread of the virus. And so often when the um, vaccines came on the on the scene, a lot of people thought of vaccines as being the silver bullet. Like, I can get vaccinated and I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. But the virus is still circulating in our community. And similar to um, how we approach the influenza virus, mm-hmm. even after you get vaccinated, you still need to implement those mitigation measures because the virus is still in our environment. And mm-hmm. even though you're vaccinated, you can still get infected and you can still spread it to others. Mm-hmm. There's a recent study that was done by the CDC on an outbreak that was done in, uh, that was detected in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And what they found was that there's rough, over 450 individuals who um, developed COVID-19 disease. And I think that's something we need to specify too. So SARS-CoV-2 is the virus, then COVID-19 is the disease process or the symptom, uh, constellation of symptoms that develop after, as a result of your infection. Mm. Um, so in Cape Cod, there was over 450 individuals who um, developed COVID-19 disease because they were infected with SARS-CoV-2. And what they found was over 75% of them were vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So that, sh- that provided evidence yeah. that even though you're vaccinated, you can still spread the virus to others. And so I know we, wanted, we were really rushing to get back to normal, mm-hmm. but we really have to realize that we're still in the middle of, pan- of a pandemic. We don't fully understand how this virus behaves um, and so we have to do our, our very best to not only protect ourselves as, as adults, but we have to make sure that we are able to um, implement act, actions uh, that protect those who aren't able to protect themselves. So, for example, youth under the age of 12 aren't eligible to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Mm-hmm. We have uh, infants and toddlers who are just living life mm-hmm. and they really don't understand what's going on at this point in time. Right. So us as adults, young adults, older adults, older adults <laughs> we all have to do our due diligence to protect those who aren't able to protect themselves and one the ways that we can do that wearing a face covering socially distancing ourselves particularly from those who don't uh live in our household and making sure we practice good hand hygiene washing mm. our hands regularly using um, um soap and using hand sanitizer when soap and water aren't available yeah. are key things that we can do along with getting vaccinated that's good you said that because I was that was actually one of my questions. Like, what can? Never mind. You already answered it though. Um, what was I going to ask next? Okay, yeah. So we were talking about variants. Um, so two of the biggest ones that I've heard about personally, I think, is the alpha 
in the uh, Delta. Delta yeah. yeah. So what is the difference? And is there one that's more deadly? You know, and how do you know? Is there anything to yet that lets us know the difference between the two or the three? Because we have the regular one, the Alpha and the Delta, right? Well, actually, there are six that we're monitoring in the United mm. States. Wow. But six. outside of there are six. Oh, no. And that's just in the United States that we're monitoring. But there are additional variants that are circulating um, out uh, in other countries. For example, in South America, uh, the Lambda variant um, is circulating. This cause it has uh, is causing the result of over 80 percent of the cases in Peru. Mm. And so that, that variant can easily be introduced into the United States because of international travel, right? So it's mm. only a flight away. And so we have to be mindful of not only what's happening in the United States, but what's, what's happening in other parts of the world because of international travel and um, other, inter other worldwide activities that we participate in. Yeah. So also, um, is, there a, is there any way for, I guess maybe as just regular everyday people who don't study these things we probably wouldn't know how if there's a difference like oh say somebody is sick with covid and they have the delta and then somebody else is sick and they have the alpha is there any way to like at least for you all as doctors and physicians is there any way for you to know and another question i guess on top of that would be um does the vaccine help with either of those, like, you know, with the new variants that we have. And so the only way to officially determine um, if someone is affected with a particular variant is by is through genetic sequencing. So the virus has to be genetically sequenced, um, and that's typically done by the CDC or a vendor that the CDC selects to provide laboratory services. Um, so if, if I'm infected and I'm coughing and so forth, you as an individual, you won't know if I'm infected with the alpha variant, the lambda variant, the delta variant, or other, uh, some other strain that we don't even know about yet. Mm -hmm. And so that's why really protect, it, protecting ourselves is really important because the, um, the alpha variant is the first variant that was, that was detected. So it was, and that was the one that was circulating in uh, the United Kingdom or the UK. Mm -hmm. um, it was causing the majority of cases in the UK. The Delta variant is a later strain that came on um, that was uh, uh, discovered. And what we found is the, the Delta variant, when compared to the Alpha variant, it is spread more, it spreads more efficiently mm -hmm. and it's uh, more virulent, meaning that it's more likely to result in an individual being hospitalized mm -hmm. or even um, or resulting in death. Mm. You said the Delta, right? The Delta. Okay. okay. And it's important because that's been what's been in the news lately, particularly in the state of Missouri. And because in the state of Missouri, the Delta variant is now um, uh, accounting for about 90% of all COVID-19 cases. So if wow. you've been listening to what's happening in southwestern, uh, southwestern Missouri and north central Missouri, um, those jurisdictions um, are being overwhelmed. Uh, because the Delta variant is spreading rapidly and um, particularly amongst unvaccinated individuals. And so the hospitals are overwhelmed. They're, you know, they're in the need, they need additional medical support. And so um, the doctors, the medical teams are really overwhelmed because um, the hospital beds are being occupied by COVID-19 patients. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is really important as well. So when we look at um, COVID-19 patients coming to the hospitals, mm -hmm. 
that reduces the number of beds that's, that are available for individuals who have other chronic illnesses and other emergency, mm -hmm. um, uh, emergent medical conditions. So if someone, for example, if someone has a stroke or someone has a heart attack, if they're going to, going to a hospital where all the ICU beds are filled, all the cardiac beds are filled for, um, for people who are infected with COVID and mm. experience COVID complications, then that puts them at greater risk for dying as well. Mm. Well, I've seen something um, recently, I think it was like on like on the internet where you can get kits to test for COVID at home. Are those are those accurate? Like, can people really, you know, what do you? Can you give us some insight on that? And so, for the antigen kits, um, we typically have we recommend that individuals only use those if they're symptomatic because they're more accurate if you actually have symptoms. Um, if you don't have symptoms of just getting screened or you know you've been exposed to someone who um, tested positive for COVID-19, we really prefer the gold standard, which is the polymerase chain reaction test or PCR test, which is um, you can do either um, get a nasal swab or a saliva um, a test. Mm. Um, and the, so the PCR is what we recommend because it's more accurate. Which one? Which one is that again? So the, the nasal swab. Okay. Or okay. Some, they also have a uh, saliva-based test um, oh, okay. that you can use as well. And did you say that the nasal one was more accurate or just the ones that you get? Just the PCR the... tests. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just the overall test. Okay, got it. I wanted to make sure I was hearing right. <laughs> hey, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time right now for our Pick the City Up art interlude featuring an original piece by St. Louis Story Citrus called Good for Your Health. People! People are dying from left to right. It needs to end now. We can't continue to live a life without resources. We're all sisters and brothers in the hands of the greatest. We must unite for this common cause, for each other's health. It all starts now. Now. In the morning, fruit smoothie with the oranges Y'all stay on it, but don't be sleeping on healthy eating Time be creeping up on you and your body Start reaping every seed that was sown Good or bad, it will show red meats Cut them low, too many sweets, gotta go All your teeth gon' hit the floor when do to work gon' cost most Just gotta let you know that the stuff that you eat can change your life But you decide in the end just how it go You won't regret it later on, Yeah, that's on mute, cause I wanna 
one of a long life I got a lot of work to do So I put them cookies down And I pick an apple up Cause what you put down in your body Will eventually show up So I balance life with exercise And help ease all good vibes You only get what you put in So best believe that I'm eating right And you may think what's right is wrong What's wrong is wrong What's wrong is right But eating healthy is always right But eating healthy is always right We got these food deserts Placed in our hood Don't gotta walk far to find what's cheap and good when I go to the store, I'm not falling for the tricks Put down the soda and candy and grab a water and turn on it It may seem lame, but at least I'm fit Five for two, fruits and veggies, and I'm still lit If we wanna beat the system, man, I live by gym We gotta be conscious, become healthy Is advice to uh, any group or youth organization that's trying to convince, you know, young African-American, you know, children to, to take these vaccinations that are over the age, you know, 12. How, what would be your advice to them to be able to be uh, a sound message that we could give them to kind of get rid of the dogma and the mass hysteria, if you will, that's being put around this whole COVID, you know, subject? So the key, the key thing is making sure they have accurate information. Mm. What we are finding is that there's a lot of misinformation that's circulating in our community. And a lot of some of the information is being perpetuated by adults. Mm. So making sure that we are providing them with accurate information. You know, the health department, we try to be available as best we can. There are also other medical providers in the St. Louis area that can be of assistance. And so we urge you to really reach out to the health department or your medical provider to ask, those, um, the, any, ask them about any questions you have related to COVID-19, the COVID-19 vaccines. Because one thing that we don't want to continue to happen is for misinformation to lead to additional deaths in our community because that's unnecessary loss um, and everyone is impacted when someone and when someone dies so i have a question why can't we use patients that are in the hospital as a testimony to what's going on 
So there have been some efforts around that. So it's up to the patient though, right? So we have the numbers, we know what the numbers show us, uh, but it's really up to the patients to be willing to share their own story. Uh, one thing that we did find as we were um, holding vaccination clinics is that a lot of the people that were coming through were individuals that, who were previously infected with COVID-19. Some of them had been on uh, in the ICU on uh, ventilators and they just knew that they didn't want to go through that again. And so if they were able to get additional protection by getting the vaccine, um, that's what they felt that was in the best interest for themselves and their families. We use those patients to tell their stories more. So that will be a collaboration with the hospital system. So we have to go through the hospitals. Um, but then if you know family members who've been, infect, been infected and they've uh, had some challenges or complications, reach out to them directly. Oftentimes they'll be willing to share that information with you. How you doing, doctor? I'm doing Howard good. Cox. Uh, question, um, with uh, hundreds of millions of uh, vaccine doses in circulation, why has the vaccine yet to be approved by the FDA? Oftentimes, it's, it's um, need, the need for additional data. So right now, the, the, all the vaccine products, so the Pfizer vaccine, the Johnson Johnson vaccine, and the Moderna vaccine, they've been approved under emergency use authorization. But the remaining steps is really for those particular products uh, is just going through the federal process. And so we anticipate that um, those products will receive official um, uh, authorization um, by the end of the year. Okay. Um, also, um, there was some news going around that um, that I've heard recently. I don't know if this is true or not. You can verify it for me. But that um, vaccinated people are less, uh, it's, it's more possible for vaccinated people to spread the virus than unvaccinated people. Is that true? No, not that they're, they're able to spread Likely it. Likely are more possible to spread, be carriers. So they can be carriers. And what we found, so we talked about this um, a little earlier. So recently there was an outbreak in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And what they found was uh, over 450 individuals um, developed COVID-19 disease after becoming infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus. Um, and over 70% of those individuals were fully vaccinated. So that means that even if you're fully vaccinated, you can spread the virus to others. And so that's why we, we still recommend individuals wearing face covering, socially distancing themselves, um, as well as practicing good hygiene because those mitigation measures are really critical um, to help stop transmission. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everybody for sharing those questions. I got a question. Go ahead. So do it really matter if I, you know what I'm saying, if you get vaccinated, if you still can catch it? So it does. So imagine if you were unvaccinated mm -hmm. and say you have underlying medical conditions or maybe you don't have any medical conditions and you get, end up getting infected with the virus. So if you're unvaccinated, you're more likely to have severe complications that require hospitalization and death. So I think one thing we have to do as a medical community is rebrand how we um, rebrand the, the vaccines, essentially. So the messaging around vaccines initially was that the vaccines were going to be a silver bullet. The vaccines are not a silver bullet um, because, individ again, individuals can still get infected with the virus. They can still spread it to others, even if they're fully vaccinated. But the, th the advantage that vaccines give us is that we have additional protection. So in the event that I get 
exposed to someone who's COVID positive, the likelihood that I'll end up in the hospital, the likelihood that I'll end up on a ventilator or life support is significantly reduced. So the vaccines are meant to save lives or prevent those severe complications. So so in the event that you do get exposed and you are infected, the likelihood of having severe complications is is really low. Thank you. Um, What are some things that we've done, if you know, in the past, like when influenza came around, it was a big deal. I bet it's probably similar to this. Um, so what, like, how did we get here now, you know, to where it's not like this huge deal? Like, you know, was it the vaccine that helped with that? Or was it like some other steps that we took as a community, as a whole, um, to, I guess, lessen the stress and the number of deaths from the virus? It's a, um, uh, there's a document um, that was done by the, I believe it was the CDC, and what they looked at was um, all-cause call, all, all mortality going back to uh, the early 1900s. And so we know that in 1918, that was the, what they call the Spanish flu. So that was a pandemic. Um, then we also had H1N1 uh, not in the not too far past. Uh, and what we found was that in both cases in both of those situations the same mitigation measures were implemented so you know with the exception of face covering social distancing we had to close businesses there was a shutdown um, for the 1918 um, pandemic Uh, for h1n1 it wasn't as severe but it did impact the economy and it impacted um, uh, aspects of government but the same mitigation measures so making sure that people practice good hygiene uh, make sure that people stay home if they're ill. Those same mitigation measures uh, were really important then and they're important now. But it's really up for us to continue to implement them. And because what we're learning now is that there are more viruses, there are more pathogens, um, not only in the United States, but across the world. And we never know when one of those pathogens may um, mutate mm. and uh, become um, uh, and be able to spread between uh, humans. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's happened with uh, COVID-19. And we never know what the next pathogen is going to be. And so by implementing these really critical measures, now we can um, help save lives moving forward. Absolutely. Um, if you could say anything to a youth who's maybe um, scared to get the vaccine, what would, what would be the thing that you would say to that youth in order to either help educate them or encourage them to go with their first mind or whatever that may be? I would encourage them to go to someone that they trust mm-hmm. um, to get accurate information. Ask that individual, whether it's their pediatrician, if there's their primary care doctor, um, if it's a public health professional, go to someone that you trust and someone that you know that know was going to give you accurate information so you can make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I say time and time again, the health department's primary responsibility is making sure that we empower our community by giving them accurate information. And that's really one of the most important roles of all medical providers is to educate um, individuals that are who are under their care. Mm-hmm. When you go to a medical, when you go to your primary care doctor's office, your pediatrician's office, it's really important for you to ask the questions that you have when you're in that setting, um, so that you're well informed about your own health and you can advocate for your health uh, beyond the, the walls of the medical provider's office, and you aren't tied to just relying on someone else to advocate for you. 
Is there a website um, or, you know, somewhere people can go uh, just in case they don't have a person they could reach out to? Is there like a website or something where they can go to get facts, more facts about um, COVID or the vaccine? Um, and so the health department so we have a vaccine page mm-hmm. and so individuals who want information about um, all three vaccine products if they also are interested in knowing um, seeing the impact of COVID-19 on communities across the city of St. Louis they can go to our website which is stlouis it's s-t-l-o-u-i-s dash m-o dot gov stlouis dash m-o dot gov and if they want to talk to someone we also have staff who man who um, staff who who monitor our COVID-19 hotline. Mm -hmm. And the number for that hotline is area code 314-657-1499. Again, it's 314-657-1499. Thank you. And then another question I have, um, could they find on the same website information for um, places to go get tested and you know if they want to get vaccinated where to get vaccinated um i know a lot of people have a lot of questions about especially when it comes to getting tested they want like to get tested right then and there but it's a lot of places that require appointments or you know or and then they take like a few days is there any any way around that so we do have information on uh, all of our upcoming vaccination clinics is posted on that site. So if you're looking for a place to get a vac- COVID-19 vaccine safely, mm-hmm. you can go to our website and look at the, our upcoming events. We're actually hosting an event tomorrow at the Enterprise Center. We'll be there from two, 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. Then we have several events um, related to back to, uh, associated with back-to-school events uh, coming up over the next few weeks as well um, for your other question. About the COVID testing. testing. So testing, um, there are several locations in the city where you can still get tested. Um, you can go to Affinity Healthcare. They are offering testing. I believe the other federal, federally qualified health centers are offering testing as well. So you can go to Better Gene Care People's Health Centers, um, Affinity Healthcare, Family Care Health Centers, and Care STL Health Centers. Um, so all the federally, federally qualified health centers in the city of St. Louis can offer um, COVID-19 okay. testing. Is Walgreens, um, is that, because I heard some people got tested at Walgreens. Or like a CVS. I know at one point they were offering testing, but I know right now they're offering vaccinations. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they're still offering testing in that Okay. How about, I have a question for you all. Yeah, I was How just going to ask before we wrap up, I was going to ask if you had any questions or was there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about? So I just want to hear your perspective on um, the messaging related to COVID-19 vaccines. How did you first feel when you started hearing about the vaccine and were you hesitant at first? And if you were, why? And that's for both of you. Absolutely. Um, Definitely hesitant because um, when COVID first happened, I was, you know, everybody was watching really closely about the news and what was going on and for me it was i was hesitant because um what initially was said is that we wouldn't have a vaccine for at least 18 months and then we have one within half of that time so that kind of made me like wonder you know 
is it safe you What's know yeah um how how safe is it you know um i wanted more data more facts more information you know more results of you know what does it do um and then uh uh no a lot of people well not a lot of people but some people um have allergic reactions or allergic to some of the things um that's in the vaccine so they can't even get it so you know just still kind of like doing research and keeping an open mind i guess you know was kind of what i was trying to go for but definitely the one thing that really stumped me was the we have it we had it in half of the time that it was initially said like if we're not going to have it until 18 months after and then it was like nine months later yeah. voila magic is on the scene <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah so do you at this point do you understand why it was why they were able to get the vaccines out and get them approved over a shorter period of time could you say that one more time for me now what's your understanding of why the um, vaccines were able to be produced and approved, get approved over a shorter period of time? Not 100%. I kind of understand it, but it's still not like 100%. Yeah, like yeah, still like a few like gray areas. I'm like, okay, you know, as things unfold, you know, and then you hear something like the Johnson & Johnson happening, then it's, it makes you kind of like, all right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know okay let's let's get some more data you know um but yeah so yeah i not so not a hundred percent so let's talk about that a little bit not then i'll have you answer the, the question right. as well for myself somebody like close to me had like allergic reaction to uh one of the vaccines so they kind of put me on the borderline like what happened like you know what I'm saying? like i could that could be me you know, so I care about myself. I don't want to be like, eh, uh, you know what I'm saying? So I don't like, I'm still kind of half and half with it. Like, I'm still kind of building my own, you know what I'm saying, like opinion of the data, you know what I'm saying, with the data and stuff. So I can just make my final decision for myself. But, you know what I'm saying, I mean, I'm like looking at the facts, you know what I'm saying, putting into consideration like, okay, I got a family, you know what I'm saying, I don't want to like affect my daughter or so on and so forth with other family members. So I do want to kind of like put everything in consideration like outside of myself when making my decision though. Right, so we we talk about the vaccine and the process for developing vaccines. So I know there was a lot of concerns about there being shortcuts. There were no shortcuts taken. So when you have a pandemic, it's really an atypical situation. It's not normal by any means. And so not only do we have millions and millions of cases of COVID-19, there was also billions and billions of dollars that were going into uh, research and going into manufacturing so that when the product was approved, it could be made readily available or shipped out um, as quickly as possible. And so having millions and millions of cases of COVID-19 gave them an opportunity, the pharmaceutical industry, as well as the CDC and other public health organizations, the opportunity to conduct clinical trials over a shorter period of time. And so they still went through phase one. So there's typically three, phase one, three phases of clinical trials. So you have phase one, phase two, and phase three. All those phases were still completed, but when you have millions of cases you're able to evaluate the efficacy or the effectiveness and the safety of a product over a shorter period of time. So all of the vaccines that were um, tested 
that are currently available, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, they had clinical trials that included over 30,000 individuals. So it wasn't like they just took 10,000 people or a handful of people and said the product was safe. They took the over 30,000 people that participated in the clinical trials, and that data, the data that was collected on the um, uh, safety and effectiveness of each vaccine product was heavily scrutinized by not only the CDC, but the NIH. Then there's an independent group called the American Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. These are subject matter experts from across the nation that come together. They don't have any really major conflict of interest related to the vaccine development. And so they come in to provide their expert opinion on whether or not the vaccines are safe and effective. And so they look at the data heavily before they give their um, recommendation to the FDA. And they're constantly engaged. So whenever there's a new recommendation that's put forth by whether it's the FDA or the CDC, this group comes together to meet to discuss the data to make sure that we aren't call, we aren't causing additional harm to the community across the world, across the nation. And so lots of checkpoints are in place. And then, as we talked about before, the, v, the V-Safe application is a tool that's used so that we can continue to monitor the side effect profiles and the safety uh, of these vaccine, these vaccine products that have been approved. Yeah. Um, I had a question. Okay, yeah, so thank you for that. Um, and then you said 30,000. So is that 30,000 um, for each vaccine? For each vaccine. Okay, and then also, have they had any, like, tests to see, like, um, I'm, I'm guessing they would, to see, like, um, I guess, which one works better? So that's the safety and efficacy or the safety and effectiveness profile. So overall, the, each vaccine product has been determined to be safe. Uh, the effectiveness does vary. So um, for the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine, for the first dose, uh, the effectiveness is roughly 80 to 85%. Then we get the second dose, which we call the booster dose, that ramps it up to about 95% for both the Moderna and the Pfizer product. For the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the effectiveness is around 80% just for the for one dose. Um, and so um, both all are effective. And then I think one of the questions you asked earlier was around the effectiveness of the uh, as it relates to the variants that have been det uh, detected. And they have been proven to be effective against pre preventing severe complications even when someone is affected uh, with the variants. Mm. Okay. But it's important though. So we have, that's based on the variants that we have available now, that we know about now. So if additional variants are de developed over, over time, they may be more resistant than the current variants. So meaning that means that the, vac the vaccines that are currently available may be less effective. Mm. That's why our focus has to be stopping the spread or stopping transmission of the virus. Otherwise, we'll be, we'll be variant chasing mm -hmm. for decades. Yeah. So is that another reason why um, I would, isn't it, well, let me make sure it's true, is that, is it true that the um, influenza vaccine, does it change, or is there different ones, and is that a reason why, too, you know, because there is probably more variants, it's probably way different now than it did back when it first started? All right, yep, just uh, similar to the coronaviruses, so the influenza virus also has different variants. So mm -hmm. if you look at the, um, each season, the CDC selects 
for each season, the CDC and the NIH select the um, top three or top four variants that are circulating across the world. And those are what, those are what they include, um, bits and pieces of the DNA of those variants are what they include in the uh, flu vaccine each season. So if you look at some people get, um, um, it's a, one that has the three components to it and there are some that have four components to it. Um, but they all in, include uh, different strains of the flu vac of the flu virus. Okay. And then something else I want to touch on too really quickly is a lot of, especially in the African-American community, a lot of people have a lot of pushback because of previous problems with, you know, healthcare and, you know, being given the wrong medications or drugs or, you know, how do we um, try to get get through that? You know, how do we try to, because I think that's a really big thing, um, especially for the African-American community. And I think that's probably one of the top drivers for a lot of people not wanting to get it because they feel like they can't trust or they don't know who to trust. You know, and then there's all this information out there. So they're probably like overwhelmed, you know. So how do we kind of like kind of chop down some of those those walls? So the first step is really acknowledging that we've caused harm to African-American communities. Whether it's the Tuskegee Project, it was the um, Henrietta Lacks um, situation, or even more recent situations where, where in the, uh, minority populations have been exploited due to medical research, or even just been um, being treated badly when they go to receive medical services at either, either hospital system or other medical center. We have to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. We have to own that we've caused harm to to community. We also have to own that you know there's been significant levels of disinvestment that have occurred in predominantly minority communities. So we can't just gloss over that and expect people to get over that just because we're in the course of the pandemic. Because those are lived experiences that we have to honor, mm -hmm. and we fail to honor it now. The ability, our ability to uh, to gain trust within those communities. Um, will be significantly challenged moving forward. And so the health of the City of St. Louis Department of Health, I can't speak about other health departments, but the City of St. Louis Department of Health is really adamant about making sure we honor individuals' lived experiences and that we uh, don't gloss over um, uh, the damage that, that has been done over time. So that's the first step. Then the other step is that we have to look at the system and figure out what needs to change in the system. So is, is it that our medical providers need to be uh, better trained in um, providing culturally and linguistically appropriate services. So there are federal standards that hospital systems and federally qualified health centers have to adhere to because they receive federal dollars. And those uh, 15 tenants, the 15 tenants, I can't go through, all, through them all right now, but there are 15 tenants uh, that they have to comply with. And if individuals are not, um, the individuals don't receive the appropriate care, mm -hmm. There are grievance processes that they can follow to make sure that the hospital system, as well as the federally qualified health centers, are held accountable for um, uh, what what they're doing. Yeah. But a lot of individuals in our community don't aren't aware of that. So the second step is that we really have to teach individuals in our community how to advocate for themselves. Mm. How to teach them, you know, that it's okay to ask questions when you go to the medical provider's mm. office. 
It's okay to have a list if you need a list. And it's okay to say that, hey, I'm not comfortable with that right now. Let me look and um, either get a second opinion or let me do some research and then come back. We really have to make sure that our community feels empowered to advocate for themselves. Mm. Otherwise, the damage that the system has done and continues to do will just continue over time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's how we build trust. Um, but we also have to make sure as, a, as an agency that we're going out into the communities, we're being present, we're providing them with resources, good resources, yeah. um, and providing follow-through. That, that's really Im- Im- important. As the community sees us more, the more they'll trust us and know that our, our engagement is genuine. Because yeah. oftentimes what you'll see, and I've seen this as well, is you know, we'll go into communities, because we need something, whether it's information for research, we need clinical specimens, we're trying to get a, obtain a better understanding of how minority populations live, but then we leave them after we get their information. Yeah. They deserve better than that, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that there's a communication loop so individuals who participate in whether it's medical research, public health research, make sure they understand how they're contributing to the advancement of public health, how they're contributing to the advancement of medicine, um, rather than just leaving them high and dry after we collect their information. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And that's where you all play an important role, right? Because you all are up and coming, and we need to empower you all so that as as adults, you'll know how to navigate the system, you know how to challenge the system, Mm -hmm. and you know how to advocate for yourselves and your families. Exactly, yep. Um, what, does, what does that mean for you? If, when you hear the term um, advocacy, particularly as it relates to health, and you talk thinking about your own health, what does that mean for you at where you are right now? You said, can you say the word again? It was, Ad, advocacy. Okay, okay, got it. You want me to go first? No, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 you go ahead. Uh, to me, it's basically, like, to me, I kind of interpret it as, like, take control of my own health. That's kind of like the over, you know, it's like the overview, of like what I, you know, what I'm saying, like understanding the word, just like my overall, basically my own empowerment of my, you know, what I'm saying, my decision for my health, outside, you know, say outside of the uh, medical profession. I kind of piggyback that, um, but to add more to it, you know, advocating even for my own self, you know, I think probably encourages other people to do the same, you know, or gives them an example of what it kind of looks like. Um, Because, you know, some people more than we probably think grew up in very passive homes, you know, so um, maybe they don't feel like their opinion is valued. And that's why I like Story Stitchers too, you know, giving you a platform to let their voices be heard. so really just kind of advocating um, for myself and, you know, encouraging youth to speak up, mm-hmm. you know, like, how does this make you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, because some some youth aren't used to reflecting, yeah. you know, and really getting down into why they feel a certain way when somebody says, you know, they haven't gotten into those triggers or even trying to figure out what triggers are, you know? And sometimes like conversations like these can trigger them and they just shut down, mm-hmm. you know? Like the brain thing Yeah, <laughs> like they just shut down. 
they just leave, you know, and make they they're uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they don't know how to address it. Right. You know, so advocating for me kind of goes deeper, you know, even when it's me advocating for myself, you know, maybe I feel one way about something, but somebody feels another way, you know, and hearing me talk about it is empowering them to stand up and giving them courage to say what it is they feel they need to say. When I think of it, I think that um, we advocate for things that we uh, see value in. And so we talk about advocacy, particularly for minority populations and just youth and individuals that are coming up. We need them to understand that their life is worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So their actions will impact future generations. And so we can teach or at least empower you all to advocate for yourselves at this point in time. You can influence your colleagues, your peers. And then when you get to a point where you have families, you can teach your children, your children's children how to advocate for themselves because their life is worth fighting for. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a big thing too, you know. Real inspirational. Yeah. Um, it's sad too though, but there's some, there's a lot of youth actually that, um, I've had a few podcasts like that where they didn't feel that their life was valuable enough to think about life past the age of 18. Mm-hmm. It was always, if I make it there, you know, so I think advocacy is a very big thing and just giving you really an outlet to even express, express, you know, themselves, whether it's creatively or just really just talking it out on a podcast, I think is very important. Absolutely. And especially with a professional like you to get coming back up and give us facts about, you know, some of these things that we may be feeling or thinking. So, again, thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. As we look, as the health department, you know, we look at the impact that all of this investment has occurred. And when you take, when you strip resources away from a community, that leaves them hopeless. And so that feeling of hopelessness can leave individuals feeling, hey, the, the government doesn't care about me. Maybe I shouldn't care about myself. But changing that paradigm and really not only teaching people, teaching individuals how to uh, fight for themselves, but also how to thrive is really important. So how to ha- how to live a healthy life, how to live a ba- uh, have a balanced diet, how to um, prioritize relationships, how to have healthy relationships. All these things that we talk about are really important, but we need to make sure that, again, one, we're present in the community so that um, they trust the information that we're providing to them, uh, but then also making sure we're following through with them, we establish those relationships so that they can um, really in- truly implement uh, the thing that they need to do to, to live a healthy life. Absolutely. Did you have any more questions? No, you pretty much answered all my questions. Well, I have another question. Okay. So as you, you we've gone through the pandemic and we've seen that um, African-American populations have been uh, disproportionately affected. So for example, in the city of St. Louis right now, African-Americans are accounting for roughly 80% of all the COVID-19 cases that are being reported. What, how does that make you feel? And what, if you could do anything right now to change that, what would you do? Delete COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, um, um, how it makes me feel, definitely, um, I guess how I've kind of always felt, you know, that we need more support, um, more care, more community, 
you know, um, and um, how to stop that. I don't know. I think there could be a lot of ways. Um, <clears throat> I think my biggest thing would be money, um, like the flow of money, whether that's like jobs or because I think anything we say that we need yeah. is gonna take, yeah, funding. Some way or some form. Yeah, you know. Some money is coming out of somebody's pockets. Um, so yeah, I. Just to uh, kind of sum it up really quick. I want to piggyback up what you said. Like money, just on the fact that everything needs funding and social media, just on the fact that it's a big influential thing right now. And I think social media is like plays a major role in a lot of youth coming up since a lot of youth be on their phone from mm-hmm. babies to, you know what I'm saying, our age to even older. Mm-hmm. So I think social media is like really the big main factor that will help all the COVID <laughs> in a sense. Any particular platform, social media platform? Yeah, I, th- I think pretty much all of them is pretty much uh, equally inf- you know, influential. Especially if Facebook own- owns it. Okay. <laughs> Facebook or Google. Okay. Uh, TikTok is really popping right now. Though. Yeah, I say TikTok for the youth, yeah. for sure. What about the babies? Cause you said pay babies are using yeah, social like, media. Yeah, like my daughter be on YouTube, <laughs> YouTube a lot. So it's kind of like I said, YouTube is a, a major role. Also, if it like some it had like some children shows that teaches about COVID at a young age, I think that'd be a big help. Cause it'll train, it'll train their mind and their mindset at a young age to help them grow. It'll just it'll grow with them. Yeah. Have a question? What? Yeah. So I was gonna ask so the kids who are able to get the vaccine, would you encourage them to get it? And so most of the children have to um, go with their adults. So, um, and so our primary goal is making sure the adults have accurate information because they're the true advocates for children. Um, and so if adults have accurate information, they can make the right decision uh, for themselves and their, and their household, which includes their children. Thank you. Thank you. So par four? <laughs> right. I enjoy this talking is, to him. Yeah, I want to see him come back. Did you have anything else before we close close up? I'm just grateful for the opportunity. I'm hanging out with cool youth on Friday. Like this is, <laughs> this is what's up. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, any more questions from the audience? Anybody? It's the best time to get it off your chest. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Okay. Oh. I mean, some people be shy. Okay. Cool. Well, doctor. Are more people coming for the dance battle? If there are no, no people coming for the dance battle, I'll be the only contestant so I can get my prize money. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you again for coming. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Lucas, for co-hosting. My pleasure. Um, my pleasure. Thank Have you, fun. everybody, for listening. Um, we hope you got a lot of good information from this podcast. Feel free to rewind it, play it, Download it, share it. Um, Yeah, and until next time, and we out. Thank you for listening. And last but not least, 
We want to give a very special shout out to the Stitch Cast Studio sponsors. Stitch Cast Studio Season 2 in 2021 is sponsored by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund three-year grant from 2020 to 2022, Arts and Education Council, PNC Grant, and Lush Corporations, the Charity Pot. Peace in the Prairie is presented with support from Missouri Arts Council, a state agency which receives support from the state of Missouri and the National Endowment for Arts. Additional support is provided by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund, Missouri Foundation for Health, City of St. Louis Youth at Risk Crime Prevention Grant of 2020, Stewart Family Foundation, and Kranzberg Arts Foundation. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches.